A parable is a little bit like a joke. And like a joke, a parable depends upon cultural norms, cultural associations that have to be assumed, twists and turns, reversals, unexpected outcomes that make the punchline, well, punchy. It's like a joke. It's especially hard for the humor to transcend time and circumstance. And so it's hard for the point of the story to transcend time and circumstance. It's amazing that we can still laugh at some of Shakespeare's jokes without someone explaining them to us, but other examples of jokes still in circulation after centuries are few and far between. So without commentary, we simply miss the point of the mustard seed. It's pretty clear that even Mark has changed what the seed grows into. He says it grows into a, a, the greatest of all shrubs, whereas earlier versions of the story make it clear that the seed turns into a tree. Obviously, mustard seeds don't go into trees, but that's part of the absurdity. That's part of the joke. And generally, when the people who first heard this parable about birds nesting in branches, they would have had a whole raft of associations. They would have immediately thought of the cedars of Lebanon that we sang about in the psalm. Uh, the home of my teenage years had a, a large lawn anchored by three of these magnificent trees. At that point in my life, I hadn't seen a redwood forest, but these trees are without doubt some of the most magnificent in the world. And uh, they became an image for empire, for the state, for the nation, for power. They're the kind of tree we hear about in Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord, I will plant a lofty and noble cedar. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. Now here he's prophesying about the restoration of Israel. He's seeing the nation as a mighty tree. But elsewhere, he uses this same image about birds nesting in branches to refer to the empires of Egypt and Assyria. And in the book of Daniel, the same image is used to refer to the Babylonian empire. In other words, whenever someone heard Jesus' parable, they immediately knew he was talking about this mighty tree that represents empire. With what can we compare the kingdom or the empire or the reign or the rulership or the dominion of God? Well, the empire of God is like a weed. The mustard seed is a generally unwanted common weed that sprouts up all over the place. You can't control it. It's like kudzu. It undermines good order, something that in general the powers that would like to be rid of. There, in that mess, the birds of the air can nest in its shade. The kingdom or the empire of God, in contrast to other empires, Rome, in contrast to other kingdoms, Israel, does not need to be a mighty anything. It would be as if the bird on the ceremonial staffs leading the people of God was not an eagle but a pigeon. You know, is there any bird less magnificent and more annoying than a pigeon? Now, so often with Jesus' parables, he's poking fun at human pretension, especially when it gets in the way of full and abundant life for everyone. The kingdom of God is pervasive, and it includes eventually the whole world. So the parable also pokes fun at any pretensions we might have as a church. This coming Tuesday, I'll be at a meeting of what is really a blue sky committee of the 
uh, trustees of the Berkeley Divinity School. And I've been invited to this group after it's already done sub sub substantial work about the state of the church, statistics and projections about what kinds of clergy and how many and what an educated clergy will look like. And all this leads to a question of what a university-related seminary should be about in the future and so on. They're good questions. I'm looking forward to the conversation, but I'm a little nervous in case the agenda is really about strengthening the church, strengthening the claims to superiority of the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Communion. In other words, I worry if the agenda is more about church than it is about gospel, because all that stuff about church can so often be pretentious. In many ways, uh, there are traces of empire in our worship. Our vestments, our, our prayer books, our hymnals reveal many trappings of empire's past. These vestments are essentially what a friend of mine calls Roman underwear. You know, the, the stoles which address suggested status. A prelate's purple was the color of power when purple cloth was among the most expensive to produce. Our steeple was designed to make the church the most visible building around. Our prayers are full of concern for the nation, for those who govern, that were in the old days prayers for the sovereign. Our hymns often have massive notions of mission to bring all of the, the, the dark people into the beautiful light of Christ and so on. Visit churches in England, you'll often see partially burned flags from military campaigns hanging around the walls. Visit an Anglican cathedral in Africa and you will find these trappings of empire have become merged with old systems and sensibilities of tribal leadership. I'm not saying we should change all these things, we just note them, and even perhaps kind of laugh at some of these pretensions of ages past. I wonder what it is that I miss in the present. When I see the bishops in England huffing and puffing about marriage or about women bishops or something and start feel, feeling my bile rising in despair or whatever, or when I look at our brothers, bishops in the Roman Catholic communion are getting bent out of shape about they're not being taken seriously in the public square and how we're all against people of faith. On a good day, I think about the mustard seed. And I give thanks, and I give thanks that I do not have to get all bent out of shape and anxious and fearful and deadly, deadly serious just because I disagree with these claims to something like empire or dominion. And that's what the gospel does. It liberates us. The good news when we start realizing that we are truly beloved, and we start knowing how deeply we are loved, we start getting freed up from fear and anxiety, from the burden of our sins, from getting bent out of shape, becoming deadly serious and like, all through reminding us that we are truly beloved of God and that God desires that we live as people so beloved that we can live in the kind of communities in which the widow and the orphan and the weak and the broken and the broken places in us can find a place where everyone hears the good news of God's love for them. You might remember another parable, the parable of the leaven, which makes the same point as this mustard seed weed thing. The empire of God is like a yeast, which a woman... A woman of all things being essential to the empire of God, extraordinary. Yeast, which a woman took and mixed into a huge quantity of flour until it was all leavened. And once again, heaven's imperial rule is unlike the rule of Rome, unlike the rule of the temple. 
It's not about the purity of unleavened bread. It's not about who's in and who's out. It's not about eagles and power and cedars. It's about the pervasiveness of God's love infecting everything, celebrating the stuff of life in all its forms, everything about us, everything that makes us us, including our warts and our sins and our troubles and our broken places, being open to the possibility of God's love. A man who has done a lifetime of work studying the parables tells a story of a student of his who gave a new translation to these parables. And she said about the parable of the leaven in this way, she said, God's overwhelming love is like a cancer that invaded a woman's breast until it had consumed all of her, even in her Sunday finery. Bernard Brandon Scott is the man. He says it's just as difficult to conceive God's love as breast cancer as, as it is the empire of God as leaven. Or indeed, he might have added, like a weed, like a mustard seed. The student was dying. The student was dying of breast cancer and remarked that her form of the parable had finally allowed her to see that God was on her side, even in her battle with cancer. Now, I'm still working through that one because it's pretty difficult, but it's perhaps no more difficult than those first people hearing the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like leaven. It's kind of shocking. It's kind of unnerving. It's frankly weird. In a time of silence for prayer, I invite you to think about whatever it is that makes you anxious or gets you bent out of shape, especially in this season of electoral politics with this and that message bombarding us everywhere we turn and see whether a spirit of playfulness that is the basis of good parables See whether a playful spirit can free you for love in the assurance that you, all of you, everything that makes you you, is beloved, even with all your pretensions. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.